Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, April 27, 2014. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. And the share ID for Friday, April 25th is 6234. That's 6234. This morning, A Vision for You presents... Resentment is the number one offender. Once we've completed step three, one of the first actions we take is to begin removing from our personality some of the things that block us off from our higher power. Most of these blocks will be quite familiar. They've been part of us for a long time. The big book suggests we were convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. The big book has three aspects of self that it wants us to look at. And the first is resentments, what the big book calls the number one offender. Here to speak with us this morning is Larry, a recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago, Illinois, and Larry is a loyal servant of A Vision for You and Overeaters Anonymous, carrying the message of recovery to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. And good morning and welcome to you, Larry. Good morning, Leah. Thanks so much. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, great. Well, thank boy, to be called loyal, <clears throat> what a great thing, because for so many years, that would not be a word that I w- would have been used to describe me, that's for sure. But um, but I feel feel real real privileged to be to be a loyal servant of of this group and um, you know I guess where I want to start is is just talk about since it's just me you Leah and just a few of my friends here um, I have a resentment <laughs> from uh, from yesterday and I want to I want to I want to talk about that and then I'll get right into it um, because maybe that'll be helpful to someone I was out last night um, at a, an event. And I saw a friend, woman that I'd known for years. Um, it's actually uh, started with the founder of a theater company, and and she hadn't seen me in, in quite some time. Um, and you know, I, I walked in, and she said, "Oh my God!" You, you know, she she said, "You're you're too thin." Now I got to tell you, you know that, and I and I've heard that from people that haven't seen me in a while. You know, you drop ninety pounds. You look a little different, you know, but all the old insecurities of feeling, you know, um, sort of kicked in and, and that resentment kicked in. So what I do with it today and then I'll get into is, is you know, I share that. I might as well share that with a few of my friends here. The resentment is I'm doing now. You know, it definitely affected my, my, my self-esteem, um, how I felt about myself and my pride and so forth, despite the fact that I work, you know, my doctor uh, nutritionist, um, everything seems to be good in terms of my weight and what I eat and so forth. You know, those types of things can kick in, and I have to tell you that I felt the resentment. And I know today, you know, being in the maintenance steps, um, that I know what to do with those things. And the first thing I do is I, which I did last night, but I'll do it now, is I ask God to remove that immediately. You know, the God of my understanding, God, help me to remove that resentment. I'm feeling 
you know, I'm feeling um, a little bit insecure, God, and I can't be of maximum service to you when I carry that, that resentment. And I let someone else know, as I'm doing now, you know, about that resentment. And the next thing I do is I immediately turn to someone else I can help. Oh, wow. Imagine that. I'm on the line with all of you. I guess perhaps I, maybe I'm, I can, you know, if God, God willing, I can bring a little help here. So that's what I do with it today, with the resentment. Um, you know, resentment is the number one offender. That's, you know, what we're talking about this morning. And we start out by looking at, taking a look at the word resentment. You know, resentment is defined as a feeling of indignant displeasure or, or persistent ill will at something regarded as wrong as a wrong insult or injury. It's, it's a feeling of anger or displeasure about someone or something unfair. So, so really, resentment refers to the mental process of repetitively replaying a feeling. Um, and the event, all the events leading up to it that, that sort of bring us to, to that angry place, goads us into that anger. And we don't so much replay that, that cool litany of facts and resentment as much as we, we really re- experience it and relive them in ways that affect us emotionally, uh, physiologically, and spiritually in very destructive ways. At least that's the case for me. You know, resentment for me is like taking the poison and expecting the other person to die. I've heard that before. So it's, it's really revealing to look at the word itself. Resentment is really close to re-sentiment. Sentiment means feeling and re-meaning again. Re-feeling that again and again. So resentment is literally feeling again and again. This gets to the heart of resentment. You know, recycling old negative feelings, revisiting old wrongs done to us by others. Last night, if I don't get rid of that resentment, I'm going to relive that experience again and again. You know, that woman doesn't need to be here with us right now. I don't need to see her. See, I can see her in my mind. And if I don't have a way uh, to, to, uh, to get rid of that resentment, then I am going to relive that all the feelings surrounding that, all those insecure feelings when she said, oh, my God, you're too thin. Why don't you put on some weight? Now, listen, I'm not, you know, maybe, maybe the, you know, someone on the line might say, well, that's, that's not really a problem. <laughs> you know, I'd love if someone said that. Well, I got to tell you, my insecurities creep up, and that's where I can, you know, I can get myself into trouble. So I don't want to relive that. And it's as if each offending incident is captured on like a videotape in our mind. So resentment, in effect, is mentally replaying that scene countless times each day. And, and as we do that, real wrongs grow worse, and wrongs that were, were merely imagined assume a, a life and take on a life of their own. And, and for me, you know, the mental habit of, 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 of dealing with those resentments extracted a tremendous cost. I mean, after all, resentment does nothing to change the person we resent. Nor does it resolve a conflict. Instead of feeling, you know, freeing us from, from the wrongs of others, resentment allows those people to dominate our thinking, a kind of uh, emotional bondage, slavery, if you will. And what I found is that the inability to overcome resentment probably, for me, constitutes the single most devastating impediment to repairing the, those disintegrating intimate connections, those, you know, those long-held family rifts 
or severed friendships than anything else. And, you know, as Leia started out by talking, you know, after we go through step three and we make that affirmative declaration that we're going to turn our will and our life over to the care of God of our understanding, you know, step four is, is now, you know, when we get into the action steps, is a process by which we're going to take a look at our resentments. We're going to look at our fears. We're going to look at the harms we had done to others. Since we know that all action is born in thought, we're going to fearlessly and thoroughly examine these patterns of thinking and behavior. And in simple terms, whatever we're accustomed to is what we desire psychologically. And that's what I knew, psychologically speaking, and that's what I was accustomed to. I had a playbook, my old playbook, before I found this spiritual toolkit that was laid at my feet, was... Um, I was going to uh, be receptive to those resentments and embrace them and hold on to them. And that was going to lead, you know, a person with an alcoholic mind like mine, it was going to lead me again and again and again to the food. And, uh, and, and, and why? Well, it doesn't matter why, but I, I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And... Um, you know, I always tell people that, and I use my daughter as an example. My daughter has a peanut allergy. You know, we've heard it said, you know, and it's, it is true. I can speak that, uh, you know, by experience that my daughter does not go to Peanuts Anonymous. She doesn't. She has an allergy to the body just like mine. Um, and she's been exposed accidentally to peanuts. And good thing she doesn't, after being exposed, for some unknown reason, feel that she's got to go back and, 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 and get more peanuts. She does not have the greater aspect of my disease, which is the obsession of the mind. And uh, that leads her back to engage in what, was, what could kill her. But I do. So when we look at resentments, um, our brain, my brain is, is like a super supercomputer. And it's programmed through the software. And the software in my brain is my emotions. And that software is constantly being updated through my life experiences. So, you know, each time I went to the resentments, I thought it was working for me. Someone would step on my toes, some situation, some scenario, and I went into that software. And I got upset. I was burned up. And I held grudges. And I brainstormed. And I sought out other people to brainstorm with. And who were those people? the ones that also embraced their resentments. Those were my teachers. They helped kept, keep me stuck, and I helped keep them stuck. If you had a resentment that you wanted to hang on to, call Larry, you know, because the Larry of old would commiserate with you, and we would hold on to those together, and we would relive those together, and every time you called me, we'd re relive them again and again. And I remember all, all kinds. I remember resent, resentment I had uh, against my brother. And I'll tell you about this one. <clears throat> I had dated this woman after my second divorce. Maybe I'll tell you a little bit about, you know, where I was. Um, and uh, and I uh, I did what I normally do is, is um, you know, sabotage those relationships. That was the person I was. Well, in all of – Chicago's a big place. You may live in a big place. And of all the women available, my, my brother decided then once I – broke up with this woman to uh, contact her and next thing you know they're dating can you imagine and can you imagine when he called me and he said you know 
I just wanted to let you know because it got a little bit more serious at that point. So it was months later that they had been dating. And, uh, and he said, I just wanted to, you know, to let you know that, that we're dating. And I, boy, you talk about a resentment. And let me tell you, I called up other people. And who did I call? I didn't call you because you, you probably would have told me about the, the, you know, you were practicing the principles in all your affairs. So you would, you would talk about, um, you know, tolerance, love, and acceptance and, and all the, 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 you know, the fundamental principles of this program. I didn't want to talk to you. Who did I call? I called the people that would commiserate with me and help, help to illuminate my bitter resentment. And so that's who I spoke to. And I called those people again and again. I called uh, um, all sorts of people that would help me relive that. And for months, I didn't talk to my brother. And it went on over a year, and I didn't talk to my brother. You know, and so that's, that's how um, the insidiousness of these resentments, you know, all action is born in thought. There is not a behavior that I engage in that wasn't preceded by a thought. So, you know, each time someone, I'll, I'll call him Joe in this case, did something to me that I perceived as wrong or hurtful, it was as, as if a tiny little tape recorder was implanted in my brain. So now, you know, Joe soon forgot about the, the perceived injustice. He, he went out, he went on with his life, you know, but not me. I'd relive that situation, refeel all the injustice done to me. Each, each time I chose to play the tape recording in my mind, Joe wasn't even present. Of course, every time I saw him again, if I did see him, bam, I'd relive the experience even years later. Now, you know, suppose for a moment some new unsuspecting person I encounter reminds me of Joe. What happens then? I relive, you know, I relive that again. And I transfer that onto Joe, uh, onto this new person. So it, it was embedded in me. And, um, and, and can you begin to see why resentment was killing me? Why it's the number one offender? Why the big book talks about it? And we'll get into some of that because... That's my new playbook for living. A compulsive overeater like me learned quite early on, though, that my binge food seemed to temporarily erase my resentments and fears. Um, this worked, you know. It did work. I could ingest some ice cream or, or, or whatever, and voila, presto, you know. The bad feelings are pushed down. They're repressed until one day, you know what happens? The heroin no longer works. Uh-oh, what do I do now? In fact, there came a day, maybe, maybe you're there now, where you realize that your, your heroin, your binge foods, your, whatever your compulsion is, um, not only did it no longer work, it made it worse. It made it worse. And so I, I want to share with you a reading that I came across some years ago um, that seems to capture the essence of carrying a resentment for me. <clears throat> it goes like this. The moment you start to resent a person, you become his slave. He controls your dreams, absorbs your digestion, robs you of your peace of mind and goodwill, and takes away the pleasure of your work. He ruins your religion and nullifies your prayers. He cannot take a vacation, or excuse me, you cannot take a vacation without his, without his going along. He destroys your freedom of mind and hounds you wherever you go. Of course, wherever you go, there you are, right? 
There is no way to escape the person you resent. He's with you when you are awake. He invades your privacy when you sleep. He's close beside you when you drive your car and when you're on the job. You can never have efficiency or happiness. He influences even the tone of your voice. He requires you take medicine for indigestion, headaches, and loss of energy. He even steals your last moment of consciousness before you go to sleep. So if you want to be a slave, harbor your resentments. You know, I picture a harbor. You know, there's a Chicago harbor. <laughs> there's all sorts of harbors around here. And there's boats, uh, you know, um, tethered to the, their pier. And they're floating around. And <clears throat> sometimes the water is rough. Sometimes it's smooth. But those boats can't get away. They are tethered. And I, I also, as long as I harbored my resentments, I was tethered to them and tethered to that experience. And I could not get away of my own accord. I, w I was going to need a power greater than myself that through the process of this practical program of action would then <clears throat> change my thinking. This program is about change. It's mentioned so many times in the program. And it was to change me. I'm no longer harbored my, by my resentments. I started this talk by giving one away. You know, and, and what happens is, is I don't really have to relive it and re-experience it today. I certainly, um, I'll tell you that I came into program with a long list of resentments that I had authored and preserved, and I'm going to share some of those with you today. Yet I soon learned that if I wanted to recover from the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, I simply had to find a way to overcome these resentments that I held so close, that I had embraced. They, they were like precious, precious stones. I, I, I held on to them tightly. And why was that? See, that I, I needed to overcome these resentments if I expected to recover. And let's take a look at some of the reasons. Let's go to the big book. Well, the big book was very clear on this. In fact, on page 64 it says, where we sit, what we call our talk this morning, um, resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. And how true that was for, for, for me, you know, as a, as a fairly young child, um, others had harmed me. That is true. It's factual. They had inflicted emotional and physical pain on me that was significant, to say the least. I mean, I, in turn, carried the torch of these original offenses. And over the years, I transformed from the victim to the victimizer, from the tormented to the, to the tormentor. And let me give you an example of how that came to be so in my life, and, and maybe we can see how I transcended those by the grace of God. Um, you see, I, I was emotionally and physically abused as a child uh, by a stepfather. And, and this happened between the ages of 8 and 13. Um, we had lived in Chicago, and my, my, my parents uh, were divorced. Uh, my mother wanted a, a divorce. And it was very volatile during those times. I remember it. And, you know... Um, my mother, uh, who was, uh, was an addict uh, herself, she was um, addicted to amphetamines. I learned that much later. That was, back in the day, that was the, the drug that was prescribed for, uh, particularly for women, mostly for women who had weight issues. And, um, and so she, she was um, prescribed amphetamines, and I learned that, that she was on them on a daily basis. And boy, could she, she would tell me, I could really clean a house and 
I could really, she had four children and, uh, and, uh, she could just get things done and she could stay thin. Uh, and, and, and what I'll tell you is that, uh, so it was very volatile. And so she, she divorced my dad in Chicago. My dad was a pharmacist. And, um, in any case, uh, we, um, eventually, uh, moved to California. Okay. Um, so I'm sorry. We, I, I thought there was a, there was an issue with my phone. So we eventually moved to California. My mother remarried. So we moved across the country, 2000 miles. I mean, you talk about culture shock. And uh, the first time I met my new stepfather was the first time we flew into California. We moved to Reseda, which was uh, the San Fernando Valley of California, for those of you who know, uh, know that area. And back then it was uh, a nice uh, community, and, um, and we moved there. And for whatever reason, my stepfather, who never had children of his own, now he inherited four children from the age of uh, uh, six to you know, 13. And I was right there in the middle. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter was he targeted me. You know, I mean, that, that, that is the case. He physically and, and mentally, emotionally abused me uh, for that period of time. And, um, and I, uh, and, and he, he was only in my life from age 8 to 13. We, we stole away, you know, we, we snuck away, literally, back to Chicago. It got so bad that we, you know, we planned to leave in the middle of the night. And, and we, we got back, drove back, uh, my mom and, and the rest of us, and, and, and found refuge back in Chicago after a lot of abuse. For some reason, I was targeted, and my, my siblings weren't. That's why their experiences were a little different than mine. But um, the fact of the matter was he followed us back, and, and lo and behold, my mother, um, you know, who was, had her own issues, of course, she uh, took him back. Now, I know some of you are cringing, maybe, <laughs> you know, like, how could this woman? Well, again, he was out of my life by the time I was 13. Now, that was, uh, I don't want to make light of it. It was, it was horrible. But if you, you know, for a 48-year-old man, that was a small stretch of my life, but a very impactful time of my life. Now, eventually, um, she, she got rid of him and, and, uh, and life went on and got better. But um, the point is my resentment was towards, not towards him. Sometimes we don't resent necessarily our tormentor. I resented my mother for years and years because she didn't protect me and she knew it was going on, this abuse. She saw it. She experienced it. Um, but she, she, was, she, she did the only thing she could. She um, operated with the best awareness she had at the time. The awareness she had at the time was a lot different than the awareness she has today at 70, you know, 75 years of age. Okay. She's no longer addicted to amphetamines, uh, happy to say. And so that, that resentment towards her was, was alive and well and was really not addressed and for many, many years. And you see, so, you know, even though the stepfather was out of my life by the time, you know, I was, I was 13 or so, I carried a tremendous amount of resentment towards my mother. And now this is important to my story of recovery. Because a significant subplot in living a life of forgiveness, which is what I do today, is that resentment can be displaced onto others not involved in the original offense. So, for example, when, when a mother withdraws love from a daughter, let's just say, let's call the daughter Kim, 
and, and then in her resentment, Kim might withdraw love from her younger brother, and the brother in turn might then take out his resentment on other boys in school, and when these young people grow up, they might pass the resentment to their partners and to their children. So do you see how the potential for the domino effect of disconnection happens? This leads to relational disconnection. It did for me. So the original offense from my father, maybe slightly from my mother, you know, my stepfather, I should say, you know, I turned and, and, and over, the, over the next decades, I became the tormentor, the victimizer. And, and that's part of my story. You know, God came into me through my wounds. I often say on vision, you know, that if it was a God of justice, I wouldn't be on the line with you today. I don't deserve to be here. And I say that tongue-in-cheek. You know, God created me. But, you know, it, it was a God of mercy that, that, that allowed me to recover. And so this was, you know, <clears throat> when we look at this, that, you know, the point that, you know, someone like Gandhi was making when he said that if we keep taking an eye for an eye, then eventually the whole world will be without sight. And on it goes, round and round. You see, my resentment was tied to a spiritual sickness that only could be straightened out by the one who created me. I could no, mo no longer more straighten myself out. Uh, the, the, you know, that, that was not possible. And how? The practical program of action in its entirety, in its entirety, brought me to a new relationship with my creator. That was the, the intent. And on page 64 in the big book, in how it works, it is clearly stated that we embarked on a personal inventory as a fact-finding and fact-facing process. So it's an effort to discover the truth about ourselves. We have to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods. So in step four, we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which were causing my failure in life. And this is a, a key acknowledgement prior to examining my resentments. It says, being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. We considered its common manifestations. You know, a manifestation is, is, is merely a sign that shows something clearly. So my resentments were merely one of these signs that clearly showed the extent of my self-centeredness. I certainly had other manifestations like fear, jealousy, other things. But on page 66, 66, it says, and I'll read it, it is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic, whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. And the insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. So I think it's important to go over this line by line. You know, futility is the quality of having no useful result. You know, lack of uh, importance or purpose, uh, frivolousness. And allow me to provide you with an example of the futility of my life as I've been living it before I came into the program with resentment in mind. Um, in my young adulthood, 
<clears throat> I described a little bit about my childhood, but in my young adulthood, I was living life by the seat of my pants. I, I had very little purpose or direction. You know, when I was married in my 20s, that was a seven-year blur. I wasn't capable of intimacy on any level, physically or emotionally, really. Did I author resentment within my marriage during this time? Of course I did. My resentments ran wide and deep. So intertwined with my resentments, I embraced a heavy dose of victimization to support me in justifying my behavior. And it's very common, you know, for perpetrators of abuse to engage in self-victimization. You know, um, you know the, 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 the child of an alcoholic may become the alcoholic. Child of the, you know, the, the, you know the, the child that was abused may become the abuser. And, and so that self-victimization, it served two purposes. First, it helped to justify myself uh, to myself as a way of dealing with that, I'll call it cognitive dissonance that comes from the inconsistencies between the way I treated others and the way I believe people should treat me. And as I've heard it said, you know, my walk-walk wasn't matching my talk-talk. You know, I like that. I, I could talk a whole lot, pontificate, but it wasn't matching, ma matching my walk. Leah, can you still hear me okay? I just want to make sure that I'm still coming through. <clears throat> Loud and clear, Larry. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Just doing a check there. One of my fears is that I go on and on and I'm just talking to myself, but maybe that's okay, too. Um, so that was the thing, this cognitive dissonance. And next, there was a needed justification to others, like a, as a way of escaping any sort of harsh judgment or condemnation, you know, I would get from, from people that I wish to impress, you know, or please. And, and here's some of the examples of how I played the victim. Keep in mind, this awareness came as a result of working these steps. The steps allowed me to see these patterns of thinking. It was the first time in my life that I would uncover who I truly was, what my actions were, what my thinking was. And I saw some patterns. That was, that was what I pulled out of step four. And it was, it was magical in some ways. No amount of psychotherapy would have convinced me of anything, okay, or kept me out of the food for two minutes. It never did. I went to therapy. Um, and, and would binge my brains out before therapy. Well, not so much during the 50 minutes of therapy, but certainly after the therapy. And it was all good, and the people that I worked with were, were terrific. I'm a big believer, you know. But um, none of that was going to, it was not infused with the spirit. It wasn't infused with the spirit and a, and a reconnection and a, with God and a change. So some of the ways that I did it, there were times that I drained the joint bank account, yet complained that my wife was neglecting my needs. Um, I would emotionally abuse my wife, and, and, and then when confronted with my actions, I, well, I complained that, that I was treated worse in other ways, you know, kind of a tit-for-tat sort of thing. I'd have um, many, many emotional affairs with other women and claim my partner drove me to that action. All justification, all baloney, right? Many times I conven conveniently blamed my abhorrent behavior and how I was abused as a child. You know, no need to take responsibility as an adult because, after all, look, if you had my childhood, 
you'd be a jerk too. If you had my childhood, you'd stuff your face and, and, and you know, and, and weigh two, three, four, five hundred pounds too. It's all justified. On page 66 again, it says, it is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to unhappiness. And that's true. You know, a self-loathing person like me, by definition, feels essentially inadequate in some way. And I say essentially because this is a feeling that is deeply ingrained and therefore resistant to persuasion or evidence to the contrary. So no matter how successful the self-loather, the self you know, the self-hater, which was me, is, or how much praise he or she receives from other people, something inherently prevents that self-loather from believing he or she has value or worth. I was married, but as I mentioned, was completely incapable of having intimacy or true partnership with another person. I was merely a roommate full of resentment and fear. I would show my love. How would I show it? With money. I take her on trips. Where? Oftentimes, hey, the happiest place on earth, Disney World. <laughs> you know? And uh, so perhaps I'm not such a bad guy after all because I wore the masks. So, so to others, it seemed like I was a pretty, pretty swell guy. You know? And I had my PhD but felt fraudulent. I mean, who was I to be offering advice uh, on how to live to anyone? I mean, the hypocrisy of it all was too much for a self-hater like me, deep resentment leads only to unhappiness. I had a decent job, but, but knew that as soon as my colleagues realized I was, I was stark, you know, raving, crazy abstinent, they'd reject me. I had monetary rewards as a result of my work, but I couldn't save a, a dime because after all, saving didn't provide me with the ease and comfort that I wanted. Spending did. Spending gave me that immediate um, sense of ease and comfort. You know, there's comorbidities, two things, two, two diseases going together. Yeah, I mean, sure, I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of mind, but deep in the clutches of my resentments, you know, I had other issues too. I had other issues too. I looked for ease and comfort not just in food. I looked for it in spending, in sexually acting out, in all sorts of ways that gave me a temporary reprieve from this, this, this feeling that was killing me. Again, on page 66, to the precise extent that we permit these, these, these deep resentments, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? Now, I'll tell you, I resented, I have a younger sister, two older brothers and a younger sister. I resented my sister for years. <clears throat> she seemed shallow. Of course, you spot it, you got it, right? I couldn't spend more than a couple of hours in her presence without, without wanting to pull my hair out or hers, you know? What was the result? Well, I can tell you, I often missed out on the beauty of her children growing up from my self-centered behavior. All the birthday parties, the holidays, other family events that I spent stewing in my misery. She didn't, she wasn't carrying this. That could have been spent in more worthwhile ways. I squandered that time. I wasted it. I don't get a redo. You know, that's gone. And it says, but with the alcoholic, again on page 66 in the big book, but with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of the spiritual experience, 
this business of resentment is infinitely grave. You see, it's deadly, grave. Step four enabled me to look at my role in the resentment. And the big book asks us to examine the original incident that fueled our resentment and ask, did I do anything to cause that situation or make it worse? And if I was honest, I'll tell you, the answer was often, yes, indeed, I did. You see, I can't afford to carry resentment for very long. The grouch and the brainstorm are for you. It's not luxuries that I get to engage in. And let me, let me tell you about a person I knew um, uh, very personally that died in his resentments. Um, like me, um, I'll, call, I'll call him Bill. Uh, this was someone about a year, a year and a half ago. Like me, Bill, was, he was an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. And he had friends. He had a good career. Um, he, he was very creative, well-respected by most others. He was a gentle soul. You know, he, he was very smart. Um, he had a screwed-up childhood like mine. I could really, we could identify together. Like I said, gentle, creative person. And when harboring such feelings um, of his childhood, you know, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. He tried to get help, but as an agnostic, he just couldn't deal with the God thing. And his pride got in the way of considering a new way of thinking. <clears throat> now, he, Bill, he would get sober for a period of time, and, and sometimes a long stretch of time, only to find himself right back in the clutches of the resentments in, in this disease. Why me, you know? That was the... That was the essence of it, and, he, and he, <clears throat> he, it was maddening for him. I remember um, he would come to my daughter's. My daughter has been in plays and musicals and stuff since she was, since she was eight. She's now 18, and he would come to those because he was creative. He was an artist, um, and, uh, you know, and, and I remember he saw that I – he noticed what the woman that was telling you last night noticed, that I'd lost weight, and he saw my physical packaging – Wow, man, what happened? And I said, what I same answer I give today, uh, 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. You know, oh, what, 12 step, huh? Yeah, yeah, I tried that. It just, it just didn't work for me. But, but I found something else, you know. And, um, you know, he felt helpless and hopeless. And, and he was aware, of course, of the 12-step practical program of action. And like I said, he even tried it a couple of times. But half measures availed him nothing. At his memorial service, my daughter, who was touched by his life, sang a song from the play. You know the play, the play Wicked. My daughter was in a children's thing, a version of Wicked um, when she was younger, and it was a, her favorite. It was a duet called "For Good." If you're familiar, I'm not going to sing it because because there won't later there won't be anybody left on the line if I sing. But anyway, she could not, at his memorial service, she was asked by his family to sing. She couldn't get through the lyrics that say, who can say if I've been changed for the better because I knew you, I have been changed for good. Okay, I really botched that up, but she couldn't get through that with tears. She had been changed by him for the better. He was a really marvelous person. You know, and yet he died an alcoholic death. The outcome was the same. He, he failed to embrace this. He, he died in his resentments, unfortunately. 
And, you know, for me, self-pity and resentment were my constant companions, for I seemed to have resentment against everybody I had ever known, really. And it's interesting, looking back, the only people who would support this attitude are the ones that I sought out, as I mentioned, the ones that typically compulsively ate as I did. So let me wrap up and, and say that, um, let me shift over to what happened to me. I like to, you know, I've talked a lot about the manifestation of resentments. And, and, and let me tell you about how I deal with resentments today. First, step 12 <clears throat> says, as we know, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. So each and every day, I ask the following questions of myself. And, and these are questions from the 10th step in the big book on page, pages 84 and 86. And to put them into a simple list, you know, number one, was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, afraid? Do I owe an apology to someone? Have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once, at once? Was I kind and loving towards all? Man, that's a tough one for me. You know, what could I have done better? Was I thinking of myself most of the time or was I thinking what I could do for others and what I could pack into the mainstream of life? And after making this review, we ask for God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. And these are the things that I do every day. And I've, I've had a spiritual awakening as not a result. So I often hear people reading that as, a, no, it's the result the result that changed me. I've been changed for the better. And as part of the ongoing, you know, sort of in the moment spot check inventory, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's suggested that at times we continue to watch for selfish, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And when these crop up, I always think it's funny, you know, that it says when and not if. When these crop up, what we do is, we, and, I, and I make no mistake about this. I ask God at once to remove them. I discuss them with someone immediately. I don't wait. Or, or for me, as soon as possible. And then I make amends quickly, quickly if I've harmed anyone. You know, if I have. But if I'm in doubt, I'll wait, you know, to, to talk about it with someone else. And then most importantly for me, I resolutely turn my thoughts to someone I can help. That is, you know, reverse the flow and, and be of service to someone, somewhere, somehow. Snap me out of building any resentment or self-obsession and abuse, you know, towards others. I, I'm a different person because God changed me. So uh, the resentment, it's not that resentments don't come up. I shared one as I started talking this morning. They do come up. But when they come up, somehow God has given me the ability to do something different with them. And, and, and that makes all the difference in the world because I don't have to carry that, you know, carry those resentments and re-sentiment, re-feel that again and again. So with that, Leigh, I don't know how I did on time here, but I'm going to pass, and if there's any questions, if anyone's still on the line, let me give my phone number first, uh, my email address, because I'm open to, to calls and that. Um, my phone number is 630 205-2848-630-205-2848. And uh, that's Central Standard Time in Chicago. 
Um, my email address <clears throat> is L as in Larry, R as in Roger, R as in Roger, <clears throat> uh, K as in Kite, H as in Harry, N as in Nancy at gmail.com. That's L-R-R-K-H-N at gmail.com. And Leah, with that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Larry, for this revealing and insightful study of resentments and their impact on our hearts and minds. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us today. And yes, we're going to open the floor now for any questions for Larry that you might have. You can press star 1 to unmute to direct your question to Larry. Who's Hi, Larry. This is Liz. Hi, Liz. Go ahead. Larry, thank you very much. That was wonderful and very comprehensive. Uh, I have a question for you regarding resentments. Um, I'm wondering how you feel about the fact that they may also involve um, low self-esteem and uh, and false pride, and that that may be one of the reasons that they are something that one holds on to, because in some ways they can be a well an unhealthy way of empowering somebody, um, if that makes any sense to you. Oh, I think it does, Liz, and thanks for the question. You know, how self-esteem and pride play a part. I know, I certainly know they did for me. You know, my self-esteem is really, you know, how I feel about myself. And uh, self-esteem, low self-esteem, you know, permeated everything that I did, it's, it has changed as a result of going through this process. And it didn't happen overnight. And pride, um, you mentioned too, absolutely. Those were things, my pride, it almost seemed like these were barriers that were too much for me to overcome alone. And I was right, you know, Liz, I mean, I really was. I was right. They were, you know, in reflection, it took um, working this spiritual toolkit all the way through just as it's laid out in the big book, and, and just trusting in the process. Um, by trusting in the process, it didn't, it didn't promise me that I would feel better right away. Um, what, it, what it promised me was, as the result of working this practical form of action, that I would change in my relationship with my higher power, and that happened. And from that, I'm a changed person. So pride and lower sense of self, and, and any number of different things have really changed over time. You know, there's a reason why I pick up the phone, I mean, mostly, <laughs> you know, today, and I show up, and Leah called me a loyal servant. I like that. You know, I, I, I could be loyal to anything. The only thing I was ever loyal to was Larry. You know, so my pride was alive and well. My my lower self, self-esteem, you know, fed you know, again, all action is born in thought. My best thinking that got me here um, was not enough. I needed, I needed God, and I needed a new relationship to the God of my understanding. And over time, I see, Liz, that it's, it's really changed. I'm just more, you know, my daughter had a sleepover last night, my 18-year-old daughter. And um, they, I got up this morning, you know, and, um, and dishes all over, you know, and Full of, uh, full of what? Full of what teenagers eat and all this kind of stuff. I got to tell you, the, the old Larry, I'd be tripsing around and who's, who, you know, when did you get a butler and blah, 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 and I had the resentment 
and that pride, I would have, you know, gotten her up probably. And you, I don't feel that way anymore. You know, I don't feel that way. God has changed me in so many ways. I hope that helps a little bit. Thank you, Liz, for the question. Anyone else? This is Janice. Hi, Janice. Go ahead. Well, good morning to you, Leah, and good morning to you, Larry. This is Janice M. from Massachusetts. I just loved um, this. My question is this. Uh, You gave a wonderful example of your experience um, of the physical and emotional pain that you carried as a victim to a victimizer. Now, you said something else that's, you said another statement, and I didn't get it. You said victim to victimizer, and do you remember said, that? Uh, yeah, I do, I do. Um, I, went from the, I went from the tormented to the okay. tormentor. There we go. Tormented? Yeah. Could you, okay, um, and that was a result, of course, from your physical and, and emotional abuse, right, from your stepfather? Yeah, yeah, I think that was a big part of it, no question. Okay, that's what I wanted, from the tormented to the tormentor. What did you say it again? Say it one more time. Yeah, well, I, I, I was victimized, and I went from being the victim, victimized to the, to the victimizer, and I went from being the tormented by my stepfather, and I, over over years, became the tormentor. Got it. Um. Yeah. When it was, well, it's good to hear your voice, Janice. Um, Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, we we often do that, and uh, and it isn't it interesting. <laughs> I find it interesting all the time. I'm still in awe of this program that I didn't find a new relationship to my Creator um, through. You know, I had to come to a 12-step program. You know, and what a beautiful thing that uh, that I've been changed for the better. Can you give me a, a, a just a, a little wonderful experience that you've had? It's not only say wonderful. I'm just saying you've given such a good example on the victim to the victimizer. Just briefly on the tormented to the tormentor. Oh sure, yeah. I, okay. I mean, I they're they're at my fingertips. Are you kidding? There's too many to count. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, okay. let me pull one. Thank goodness, uh, God has changed me. Um, so many. I mean, in my marriages, um, but the first marriage when my daughter was born. You know, I, I, um, I, I ne- thankfully, I never physically abused. Um, however, the emotional abuse, abuse that I wrought on people through my tongue mm-hmm. um, was, was uh, horrifying to me to think about because I was always, you know, it's funny. I, I was always, um, you know, no one wanted to get into an argument with me because I always had some words at my disposal. For example, uh, you know, Oh, you just don't want to hear because it's uh, it's not you just you don't want to hear the truth and it's not palatable to you. How can I say it in a word in a way, Janice, that's palatable to you? You know what I mean? Like dripping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was horrifying. It was abhorrent behavior, and it's not that I read the book or I don't mean the big book. I mean read a book or the therapy that made me aware. I had awareness. I couldn't find my way out of it until. God would change me, and it, how amazing that it was these steps, taking action and quitting the debating society and getting down to business that that God uh, changed me in a way that I'm just a, a completely new person. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I was <clears throat> I was a tabula rasa is a is a term you may be familiar with, which is blank slate. It's a Latin term, 
view that we're the view that we're born as a blank slate to be written upon, and maybe I was written upon with uh, you know with all sorts of experiences, uh, abuse and good and bad. I would love to you know, um, and then and and so that we are just we are just uh, helpless to overcome those. Um, indeed, we are, except God, God has helped to transform me. I'm a living, breathing example of what God's handiwork can do. I stole that one from Leah, the, the, the word God's handiwork. I love that. So, I, Leah, I'm going to continue to steal stuff from you. So, <laughs> just know I'm a thief in the night. <laughs> <laughs> it's good with me. It's good with me. Thank you, Janice, for your question. Who's next? Green. Go right ahead, please. Hi, my name is Jean, and I'm from Massachusetts. Um, well, every first place, I only got the first part of your uh, phone number, 630. Yeah, it was, uh, Jean, it was 630-205-2848. All right, thank you. Um, I have got to tell you that it's like I, I picked up, I get in the meeting just a few minutes later, and when I heard you, I heard exactly what I needed to hear. Um, I'm as old as your mother, maybe a couple years older. Been in program a long time, but resentment can still find me, and I have to work on that. So it's like you, you, you just hit the nail on the head with what I was thinking of. I found myself this morning revisiting an old resentment, and um, it's like, it's like. Almost like now, my ex-husband has been not in my life for for so many years. I can't even begin to tell you. And then he died. Okay, so now this is a dead person who has been out of my life uh, since I was in my twenties when I'm seventy-nine. <laughs> so it was like, with what's going on in my life, I dug it up. I, I, it was like. Like, okay, this crazy family, like not looking at like, okay, you married into that crazy family. And, uh, you know, like what was my part in it? And then I picked I picked up the phone and I heard the things I want to say. It's like I wanted to dig up that resentment because it seemed to, like things that are going on in my life seemed to come, holy shit, this is, this is sort of like full circle and this isn't good. And this isn't good. So it was like just a relief to hear it. And uh, and to know that I am working on this, and I do pray every day, and I do have to release it every day. It doesn't go away. It's not something I do once. So um, I I guess my my uh, my question is: Have you forgiven your mother? Ah, that's such a great question. Gene, thank you so much. Yes, yes, I have. <laughs> um, the The power of this program was that I was able to see those patterns and see that resentment, you know, laid at my, my mother's feet, you know, for, for years and years. And somehow through the process you know, through five, step five, six, seven, eight, nine, that when I made amends to my mother, because again, remember, amends are, look, you know, I need to clean up my side of the street. 
And what was my side of the street there? Because so, there's someone on the line, because many of them call me, um, and, and there's someone on the line that was a, a victim as a child. Uh, you know, and what do you mean? Just like I'm, I'm speaking to myself. The first time I went through, I acknowledged these the first time years ago. What do you mean, what was my role in it? I had no role in it, you know, and so that I went on to take that other person's inventory, my mother in this case. She didn't protect me. What kind of a woman? I protect my daughter and, you know, and on and on and on. Now, most of my resentments are justified, but I'll, I'll go back to the significant subplot in living a life of forgiveness. Resentment can be displaced onto others not involved in the original offense. So what I did in that case over decades, I was abused as a child through no fault of my own. I was not protected as a child through no fault of my own. But what did I do with that original offense over decades? That stepfather may very well be dead, but he certainly was out of my life since 13. My mother has changed. She's known for many, many years, not on amphetamines. She's a wonderful, if you met my mother, you'd love her. I guarantee it. She's just, she's a beautiful person. She was just sick in the disease like me. And so what I did for decades was I inflicted, based on that original offense, that original uh, victimization, my resentment was so thick and overwhelming that I took those things out on others. And that would be, you know, that in, in and of itself, you know, was not good. But then what did they do with that resentment? And so on and so forth. And how many people did it affect? like a domino that was that was why i had to change and thank god this program has changed me thanks for the question appreciate it yes thank you jane for that who's next hi this is kathy in boston hi kathy go right ahead thanks Laura. thank you larry it was terrific uh, to hear your reflections on resentment today. And I just, I sit here with a question um, that I haven't been able to answer, and I would be interested in your thoughts about it. Um, having been living in 10, 11, and 12, um, I find myself not always doing a thorough turnaround on my resentment. I ask that it be lifted, I give it to God, I turn my attention to someone I can help, but I don't necessarily take the time to write about how am I being selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, or afraid. And I'm just wondering at this stage in your recovery whether you still do that careful writing that we all do in our fourth step um, on a daily basis, and I'll listen to what you have to say. Uh, thanks for the question, Kathy. <clears throat> um, yeah, no, I, I do. There, there's certain things that I do. I had to be willing to do the things that other people, you know, were doing to get the recovery that they had, and one of the things is uh, absolutely, I have to be really clear. I can't give short shrift to the to the maintenance aspects of this program and again these questions from the 10 step in the big book are on pages 84 through 86 
you know, so I've got to examine, you know, if I just think about it, there's power in writing things down, as you know, Kathy, as a teacher, and, you know, um, you know, was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, and afraid? You know, I have to really contemplate that, and for me to jot those things down is helpful. Do I owe an apology? You know, have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once? I jot these things down. Was I kind and loving toward all? And what could I have done better? Was I thinking of myself most of the time or was I thinking what I could do for others and what I could pack into the mainstream of life? And then, you know, so these are actions that I do every day. I, uh, resentments are going to come up. They are going to come up. It's, it's not if they come up, it's when they come up. I think, though, that sometimes for me, you know, I thought that that when they came up, I would no longer have feelings, you know, bad feelings associated with them. What happened last night when that woman, it, it hit me, you know, when that woman's, oh, you're just too thin. Why don't you, I think she said, why don't you have a donut? You know, like, this is someone I respected. Doesn't she understand? I mean, I'm a compulsive overeater. I wanted to go into it to be like a little five-year-old boy, you know. I mean, how could you say that? And that hurts me because it, it, it makes me feel insecure, and I'm right back there again. You know, it'd be like, kind of like, you know, you remember high school, even just many, many years ago, you know, and how you felt that insecure feeling. Then you go back to maybe a reunion 40 or 50 years later, and you feel you fall right back into those patterns, those roles, you know, of that insecure feeling. Well, I need to jot things down and I need to share those feelings with other people. I can't keep those to myself because when I do, they fester and they grow. And for me, the grouch and the brainstorm are just luxuries that, I, that I've lost the, uh, the ability to, to have. So I hope that helps a little bit. But yes, I do all those things. Thank you, Kathy. Anyone else? Hi, this Michelle? is Arlene. Hi, Eileen. And then I heard someone before that. Could you identify yourself again, please? Michelle. Michelle. Michelle first, please. Go ahead. Okay. Hi, Larry. Thanks for this topic. It's awesome. I like this. My pleasure. Um, I um, am growing up and everything. I mean, my <clears throat> my family loved a good resentment. And so we talked a lot, you know, there's a lot of gossiping about people and a lot of uh, talk about re, um, resentment and what's how someone wronged us and all that. So um, I am wondering now um, what has been happening is that as I've been um, doing this work and looking at my resentments, um, and not dwelling on them and trying to um, turn them over as quickly as possible, um, family members still come to me with resentments that they have towards other family members and um, and other people because, like you said, you knew who you could call, right, to kind of back you up on the resentment piece of it. And I'm just wondering when people do come to you um, wanting that, affirmation of how someone else has wronged them, how you, you know, non-program people, um, how you handle it? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, we have to live in the world, right? <laughs> we we didn't necessarily choose our family um, as much as <clears throat> we're a part of it. We choose to be a part of it. 
today. I, 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 like you, still have family members that I call them lovingly dumpers. <laughs> a dumper is someone that uh, comes and they unload, right? And boy, do they feel better once they get done unloading and they talk about each other. And I got a call from my it's uh, you know everyone my sister talking about my brother and this one that that one. A um, couple things have happened. We we train people um, in, in how to how to deal with us. I don't get those calls so much anymore. I wonder why. Um, maybe because um, it takes two to engage in those things. And now one of my favorite statements is is a very simple one. Uh, after the dumpers come, as they will, my family, and I say. You know, that's certainly one way of looking at it. Hmm. That's certainly an interesting way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to commiserate anymore. Um, dumpers will start, stop dumping over time when I train them that I'm not going to be part of that process. And I don't, the difference is there's a big difference in debating why you're not going to be part of the process. Because then you are engaging. <laughs> because then you're saying, uh, you, my sister says, oh, did you see what Dave did? And just such a blah, 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 blah. And if I were to say, look, Andrea, I, I no longer engage in that. And maybe you're right. Or, you know, and Dave needs a bit of but I don't do that. That's a, that's a debate and engagement. And I say, well, that's one way of looking at it. See, love and tolerance and kindness for others are the, some of my guiding principles today. I can accept that they have opinions. It's none of my business what their opinions are. I do get to choose whether or not I engage in those. So that's changed. I've retrained people in a sense as to how to deal with me, not in a manipulative way, but just in a way this is Larry's a little different, and I don't get those calls so much anymore. Interesting. Thanks for the question. Yes, thank you, Michelle. And we'll move on to Eileen now, please. Hi, thank you. This is Arlene from California, and thank you so much. Uh, I appreciated your sharing. Um, As you were talking, I realized, um, well, recently, after years in the program, that uh, I thought I had done my resentment work, but part of it was telling it to somebody else and to someone else and someone else because I loved the drama. I, I got off on the adrenaline and the drama. I got off on it so much that I must have 40 years worth of journals. And these journals have recorded the deep feelings of my resentments. And of course, I think 99% of it, I was always the innocent. My question is, uh, writing for me has been great therapy. I have this love relationship with these journals. I mean, they could be a novel. They could be a memoir. I mean, I, that's probably the drama in me. And it's like I'm afraid to just dump them, burn them, because they do have some historical uh, uh, footnotes in it of what was going on in my life. And I just wanted to know if you've run across anything like this of keeping journals that are locked in the safe and such um, and secondly, could you elaborate just a little bit on how writing of about these resentments and then totally letting them go, and do you ever dig through them again as far as being of help to someone else, that you don't get off on it, you don't have the negative feelings from it, but that it can be of help? And I, I'll take um, your answer, and again, thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, excellent questions. 
let me let me address the first part of your question first. Do I do I use them? Yeah. Well, one, I, yes, I keep journals. Absolutely. Um, the journals uh, remind me of my progression because not only was my disease progressive, so has my recovery been progressive as well. That's the great hope. So I I do like to go back. Um, mostly now in asking God, how can I be of service to you, God, be of maximum service to you and to my fellows? And God, you know, shows me how to do that. And when I go back to see where I've been or to help someone with a, you know, I can, I can read to them. I'll often do that. I have no problem with what, what it used to be like, even early in, in program. I think the distinction for me, too, in writing things down, there's something that happens in the brain. And there's research to support that that's different than just thinking cognitively about them. You know, when we write things down, you know, we can revisit those things. And there's a different sort of processing. There's different neural pathways, you know, in our brain that, that develop as a result of writing. Um, but um, I have to look at my motives. You know, again, I embraced my resentments, whether they were written down or in my mind. I relive them again and again. If I'm holding on to that, those journals full of resentment so I can go back there to relive those and go right back to reliving the feeling. One suggestion I can make is um, firewood is, is, is probably a little bit more expensive than your journals of those resentments. Putting this, the, you know, so maybe you, <clears throat> maybe you torch them all. However, uh, I'm being a little bit facetious in that, you know, maybe for historical reasons. The only reason I keep my journals today is as a reminder of what it used to be like and the progression of what God has done for me over these years as a result of working this practical program of action that was developed in the 1930s and has not changed fundamentally in all that time. I like to see my progression. I'm just a chain in the link. I'm nothing special. So um, I use it for that purpose, but I read it all the time uh, for others, especially now. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Did I answer thank your question? Oh, sorry, Leah. No problem. Yes, thank you so much. You certainly did. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Arlene, for the question. Anyone else this morning questions for Larry? Hi, this is Sarah from New Jersey. Go right ahead. Hi, Larry. This is Santa. Um, good morning. Thank you for your um, presentation. It was very helpful. I, I have a question for you um, regarding sharing with someone the resentment. I hear two avenues, and I want you to explain your take on it. I hear where individuals will write down the resentment and consider that as turning it over to God and moving on to being a service to others. And then I hear where you tell someone the resentment, where you pick up the phone and call someone and work it through that way and then move on to the next step. Can you talk about the difference in terms of the benefits of doing that or when is one appropriate and not appropriate? Because from myself, from experience, I find that I can journal and it's a lot quicker, but it's not as effective for me if I tell someone 
I'm finding that to be true as I'm going through the steps because it's just so, to me, I still finding that to be a great area. And I just wanted to get your, your take on that. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Thank you. Um, you know, uh, it talks about that, you know, that we watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. We ask God at once to remove them. It's very clear when it says discuss them with someone immediately or as soon as possible. So I don't want to, dis- you know, let me distinguish rather, um, you know, journaling or writing something down. That's, that's as though it's in my head too. You know, this program, I'll, I need to remind myself, I practiced my disease in isolation in my mind, between my ears. And so in doing that, that is not the way this program is designed. This is a we program, and there's a reason for it. I know now that I've had a spiritual awakening that the we aspect is I had to get out of my isolation. I had to get out of that secret life that I thought, you know, and because I contemplated many times the jerk that I was, you know, and, uh, and I might have even written a few things down about being the jerk that I was. Um, that that was not helpful to me in and of itself. Part of this process of um, forging a new relationship with my higher powers to get out of that secrecy, that secret little world of disease, and step into the sunlight of the spirit, which was uh, the so part of the sunlight of the spirit for me is the beauty of understand, knowing myself, know thyself and uh, know God and be open to that power source. And somehow, I can't explain why or how other human beings are a part of that. Now, that said, I do, you know, when I share um, resentments, fears, dishonesty, and those things, I choose wisely who I share that with. I need, I need someone that understands where I'm, where, where, what I'm doing. You know, again, I started by talking about, I, I used to share and commiserate with people about resentments with a different motive in mind. I wanted commiseration and uh, I wanted to relive those and more fully embrace those and stay stuck in the quicksand and then die. <laughs> How could I be more blunt? That was, uh, I wish I were dead, you know, and today it's different. So writing is a piece of what I do, no question, but sharing is a fundamental piece of what I do and I have to do both for me personally. Does that help a little bit? Very helpful, Larry. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Santa, for the question. And I believe Sue G. also had a question. Sheila, yes, thanks. <clears throat> and then Sheila, thank you. This is Sue. Um, thanks, Leah, for your service. Thank you so much, Larry. Um, I'm sitting here and thinking, well, we learned in the beginning of our <clears throat> program that we have an illness and that our our compulsive eating, whatever form it takes, is is an illness. And uh, I'm thinking about resentment and it's it's really sick stepchild self-pity. And I wonder if you can comment on how uh, the 12-step program may have helped you and others you know with the problem of illness. Thanks. I'll pass. Sure. Thank you for the question. Um, well, my illness, um, 
my illness was, um, again, here I go stealing Leia's words, was a gangrene of the spirit. I couldn't put it better than that. Um, yeah, I had a spiritual soul sickness. I had a hole in my soul, if you will, um, that was unfillable by anything of, of human origin, you know. And so that was, that, was my, that was my illness. That was my disease, was my spiritual sickness. Otherwise, if my if my illness was simply an issue with food on, in the physical realm, um, or just the emotional realm, uh, then psychotherapy would have worked, and uh, any of the commercial diet plans would have worked, and they never did. You know, I could stop it, I couldn't stay stopped because I had an obsession of mind. So, to the part of your question is how the the entire twelve steps worked. It it did exactly what it promised to give me. It gave me a new relationship with my higher power that allowed me to live in this world, um, just to live and to be able to cope in this world in effective ways. I had someone ask me recently, I guess tied to this question a little bit, is Larry really, like a sponsee, um, I'm paraphrasing, so... I just want to know, so if I work this program of action, I'm, I'm going to be recovered, like all these recovered people, like what if it doesn't happen for me? And it's like a lot of uncertainty in the question. And, you know, we see, see ourselves, maybe we're one of the ones that are mentally defective. And, you know, is that really going to happen? And, you know, do you know anybody? Then she's asking, do you know anybody who, who worked it but it didn't get recovered? And I just have to answer that honestly. That if uh, I, I do not, I do not know not a one person in all these years that has worked this program fearlessly and thoroughly the way it was laid out in the big book that has not recovered. Um, it's not rarely have I seen a person fail. I've never seen a person fail. I mean, really and truly, I haven't. Uh, I've seen a lot of people leave the program. I've seen a lot of people not embark upon the action steps, get stuck, um, you know, and for me, when that happened, I had a look at my self-centeredness, um, working the program to get something for myself. I wanted to get thin. That's it. And then, and then invite you all to my graduation and we'll have a nice party with cake and cookies and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's what the 12 steps has done for me is it has changed me. It has altered my thinking. Um, it has created a loyal and trusted servant. You can trust anything I, te- I, I tell you. <laughs> I could be wrong, but at least the big book says you can trust anything I tell you. I have no agenda. I get other than the payment Leah sends me for this 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 presentation. I get nothing. Just kidding, Leah. Um, <laughs> I I pay her. I pay her to do this. I don't know if that helps at all. Thank you, Sue G, for the question. Now we have Sheila with a question. Go ahead, Sheila. Good morning. Thank you so much, Larry. I really appreciate um, your honest share and good oily direction. Um, I got a lot of questions answered for me as I continue to listen to my fellows on the line. I think the biggest one is that I thought I had done a lot of my resentment work, and yet it keeps coming back. I did hear you say that it never really goes away, but I guess at some point, um, the deeper you do the steps, the more you do the steps that it got lighter. Um, my question is, and I think I heard you say it too, when people come to you and they still, you know, act the way they act and those new resentments keep coming up, 
I mean, you can just keep turning them over to God, but I guess at some point, did you get to where it was almost like Velcro, like, you know, the resent, like with this lady, you turned it over, and today it's really lifted because of the, the level of your belief and your higher power, the work that you continually to do. Because um, resentments come up every day. People are always being people. And, um, and I guess that's my question. As it comes up every day and you literally do the work that you, that you do, does it really go away? I mean, I heard you say they never go away. Thank you. But I keep looking for them to go away. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, no that's, a, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I, maybe I miscommunicated they never go away. Resentment will crop up. Those resentments, let me give you an example. That sister say, I used to, that I talked about, my sister, my beautiful sister, Andrea, um, I, I used to tell people, well, I have a short shelf life here. You know, I, I can only take her in small doses. You know, all these lovely things that I used to say about her and commiserate with other people. That beautiful woman, the mother of three children, and I not only can spend time with her today, I swear I enjoy spending time with her today. How did I get there? How did I get there? I think you, you, you have any, – anyone who's recovered on the line knows, you know, it's not that she – did she, boy, did she change. Boy, did Andrea change. After I had worked through these steps, she just changed. Thank goodness God changed her. I worked the steps and, she, and God changed her. Well, no, God changed me so that I could be around her. She still does a lot of the same things. I'm not holding my breath underwater with those feelings anymore, saying, like trying to convince myself that I'm okay being around her. No, I really am okay around her. God has removed the obsession of mine, but God, more importantly, he extracted those character defects. He's about ready through, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, those promises on page 83 and 84. I know how to handle situations which used to baffle me. And yes, so other resentments come up like the one I shared last night, but I know what to do with them right away. I don't feel resentment towards that woman right now. The one that, that, oh, you're so thin and wants you to donut. You know, I don't feel that. I felt it in the moment, but I don't because I did something with it. And God has changed me in a way. I think what happens sometimes for people is they don't work through the steps. Resentments keep coming up, so they embrace the old ones. And when the new ones come up, they just add them to their repertoire of things mm -hmm. to embrace. So, so I think now if you stick with the program, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll feel different. Thank you so much. I, I have a similar situation with a sister, so I identify 100%. Thank you. I thought I was terminally unique. Uh, no, thank you for the question. Thank you, Sheila. Anyone else with a question this morning? Susan? I was waiting for you, Susan. Go right ahead, please. I, I wouldn't want to disappoint. Good morning to you both. Thanks so much to both of you for your service. Um, Larry, you've shared on the line that you come from an educational or from an education in the field of psychology. And I, I have a similar education and a similar psychological bent. So getting to the question, when someone comes to you to talk about their resentment, um, is there a place, do you feel, 
for a little bit of commiseration before moving into the work. And I started the question with the statement I made because with my psychological bent, I come from a history where commiseration is kind of a part of the process, but it alone got me absolutely nowhere. But it, I, I find that um, I tend to commiserate a little and then move into the work, and I'm curious how you handle that. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. <clears throat> well, thanks for a fellow traveler in my field. Um, yeah, I, I can tell you for me, I'm like you, I, I, I felt pretty special, boy. I had the training and, you know, uh, that PhD, you know, I, 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 I make fun of it, not not in the sense that, listen, I put in a lot of years, I, I really learned a lot about the human condition, so it's not doesn't stand for piled higher and deeper and, and all these things, okay? I can make fun of myself. I guess that God's given me humility with that too. But to your question about that, what I heard inherent in your question is, you know, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, but isn't there a place for processing some of these things and in the, in the act of sharing, kind of like we do in therapy, in clinical therapy, we share things and all that. I don't discount the benefits there. I just know an alcoholic mind of my variety that the grouch and the brainstorm of commiseration were not for me. They may be for you or for other people on the line. It just wasn't for me because as I re-sentimented, I relived these feelings over and over and over again, the problem with it was it wasn't bad in and of itself if that would help me to get to processing. But see, any form of psychotherapy or cognitive behavioral therapy, any of the other techniques that speak to the core of, you know, our being and all that, they didn't work for a guy like me. A poor schmo like me would, um, was 90 pounds heavier than I am today because in the midst of that commiseration and what I thought was processing and lifting those feelings up so they could be what? You can get beyond them. That never worked for me because I never got beyond them, you know. And, and, and nor did I get beyond the bags of Oreos and Doritos and this and that and the other thing, right? I was stuck in the commiseration and I was, my hands were perpetually stuck in the bakery box and the cellophane bag. Thank you, Leia, for that, those terms too. Um, you know, and, and, and that's where I was. So I, I see your point and they may be okay for a normal person, but I ain't normal. So I don't know if that helps a little bit, but uh, that's my read on it. Thank you for the question, though. It's a good one. Thank you, Susan. Anyone else with a question for Larry this morning? Star one to unmute. Barbara? Barbara, please go ahead. Leslie? Oh, sorry. Okay, I heard Barbara. I believe I heard a Leslie. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? And Mm -hmm. I heard a... uh, Thank you. And I heard another voice as well. Allie. Allie. Okay, let's start with Barbara, please. Hi. Thank you so much, Larry. Um... I felt like I had made progress on my resentments, but I noticed <clears throat> as recently as last night that I I seem to have a resentment 
towards, uh, and it's not exactly my resentment to deal with, I don't think, um, sitting for my two-year-old uh, daughter, my son-in-law, very bright guy, playing mind games with my daughter, making her uh, feel insecure. And, and I went through that in my marriage. <laughs> and um, it's so painful. And I don't know how to deal with that kind of resentment. And then as I drove home, I'm thinking of all these things I could say to my daughter, you know, be strong, dish it back, or or make her aware of it so it doesn't just suck the life out of her like it did me. Um, but fortunately, I found program. Um, so it's it's like a secondary kind of thing, but I don't think it's appropriate for me to say anything. And I noticed that if I would, I would say I, I want to speak in a highly resentful way. <laughs> and he's very subtle. And um, I've heard him even talk about mind games, like he enjoys it. And, he, and you've helped me, Larry, because he's probably coming from a place like you explained you are, you know, hurt people, hurt people kind of thing. But um, that's my issue, and I don't know if you can help me with that. That would be great. Thanks. Well, no, thanks for the question. Um, there's a lot of things that people do that uh, to step on my toes and, and, and also step on the toes of others that I love. You know, perhaps the things that I can be most resentful today are the thing, you know, your two-year-old, you know, I got an 18-year-old. <laughs> if someone steps on her toes, boy, can that build some resentment. And I want to go out and, and fall back to old patterns of, uh, you know, of uh, tearing that person a new one, you know. Um, and I understand, um, you know, today, tolerance, love, and kindness. I do know my child, uh, whether the child is two or you know, when I was eight or my daughter 18, that, you know, life is going to happen on life's terms and that I can't protect my daughter from, from everything. Although I know a two-year-old, that's, you know, that's, I can understand, I, I can hear the concern in your voice and particularly because you've experienced is I have certain things and we tend, part of our resentments and part of our reliving those things is based on what we had experienced and we want to come in as the uh, the savior, you know, and so that person doesn't experience. I'm reminded for me, this is helpful to me, I'm not sure if it would be to you, that my daughter is a child of God as well. She was created by this higher power, this universal creator. And, um, and, and, and you know, and, and she's on a certain trajectory as well. But I can deal with those issues in a much more balanced way now, whereas before I would perpetuate the resentment because I'd go after that person. And what would happen when I went after that person? Uh, they would be hurt and burned up, and then it would continue that cycle, that pattern, that cycle of resentment uh, back and forth. So I don't, I don't have to operate that way anymore. Thank you, God. You know, and maybe that helps a little bit in, in, in looking at your approach. I'll send Thank you a bill. You. No, just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara, for the question. Now let's move. On to Leslie, please. Yes, thank you. This is Leslie, a composed warrior from Canada. And um, my question is about something you shared earlier about victims becoming perpetrators. And that definitely was my experience. And 
I struggle with having such a resentment against myself for the things that I did um, as I progressed in life. Uh, and I just wondered if you could somehow address that. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I have some more work to do on it. <laughs> that I know, but I'm just wondering if you could address that issue. Thank you. Sure, Leslie. Thank you so much for the question. Um, Again, yeah, I was on my list of resentments, no doubt. Um, I wanted to make, you know, sometimes I I think um, from what I see, you know, folks tend to make that the primary thing. Forgiveness is oneself, as if that's going to solve all the problems. You know, but there was a, but I, I did put myself on the list because that kept me uh, stuck in the quicksand as well, and I needed a new relationship with God, so I had to list all of my resentments. And again, back to that subplot of, of living a life of forgiveness, let's say in this case itself, um, if I didn't do that, then I was going to continue to displace that resentment of self onto others. And and that was one of the reasons why I had to, because keep in mind, God did not the higher power of my understanding is is the one that uh, that gave me this spiritual awakening, this vital spiritual experience. I did not do that for myself. Now, no question, I chopped the wood, I rode the boat, used whatever you know analogy, metaphor would help you. Uh, I did the things that I needed to do. This program is, is a program of action, not a program of contemplation, thinking about it, debating, but... Um, but I was not going to be the one that would remove the, those 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 character defects that led me, let's say, to continue to resent myself. All I could do is make that list, go, go through the process willingly. Willingness is an inside job, honestly, openly. And somehow through that process and then sharing it with myself, God, another human being, and through step six and seven and having the humility began to grow of having, you know, that, that God, humbly asking God to remove all of my shortcomings. And then revisiting that list that I developed in step four and, and, and step eight and becoming willing to make amends to those that I harmed, at least if it wouldn't hurt them. And then, and then in step nine, see, this was all a sequential process that those resentments, because I, I, I resented myself, indeed I did, but that was also changed as the result of working through this process. And I didn't change it. God did. So I hope, I hope that helps a little bit. It is a challenge, but it, it, it happens. Thank you, Leslie, for your question. Thank and, you. And Holly, your turn. Thank you. Thank you, Leah, and everyone for your service. This is Holly, compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Thank you, Larry. I Oh, my God, I got so much out of your, your share, experience, strength, and hope today. And I want to just thank you for commenting on um, someone who asked you. Basically, for me, I've been struggling with, am I as worthy as the rest of you who have recovered of God's grace? <laughs> And so I'm so grateful to hear that I wasn't the only one who was struggling with that one. I'm I'm not unique. And thank you so much for um, sharing around the displacement of the original resentments. 
um, that 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 hit home for me makes a lot of sense. So my and my question for you is that during your share, you said something to the effect of we are we have an inherent sense of low self worth. And I thought you said a page I could find that on. Did you? And if you did, what page is that, please? Thank you. Yeah, I'm not sure that I I, I don't recall um, which in, in what context I mentioned that. Um, I think that that you know I, I will agree that many of us you know we have a an inherent sense of of you know low self worth. Sometimes there's a there's a thought that we we're always striving to gain superiority in some way, you know, out of a out of a, a need to to be worthy, to be acceptable somehow in this world. And, uh, you know, like most instincts, sometimes we take that too far. And, and for me, it could have been grandiosity and those sorts of things. Um, I don't know which page that I might have been referring to, but any of the pages, um, you know, in 64, you know, and those, those, those are good pages to look at in terms of our resentments um, and all the, the, the step four things that we take a look at. So I would start there. Great. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Holly. Anyone else? Hi, this is Tara in Florida. Hi, Tara. I have a question. It may be just obvious, the answer, um, and part of what was talked about before, but... um, Sometimes I've heard that you need to write it and burn it or um, a a resentment, write it down. Um, Is that true or in your experience, Larry? Do you ever, or do you just think that that's, it's the same as as just writing it down? I think that's, I think that's step thirteen, uh, isn't it, Leo? Write and burn. No, I, I don't know um, that that's a particular step. No, it's a good question. There's a lot of different things we hear in program of different things that people have done and so forth. I've heard, for example, of you know having a God box and putting those resentments, fears, and other things, you know, jotting them down and putting them in there. These are, you know, to me. Um, I always, I guess, what I want to comment about this because I think it's important is I never want to. I've learned slowly but surely. I'm a very slow learner. That tools are critical, techniques embedded within the tools of, you know, something like you mentioned of, you know, the thought is, uh, you know, getting something down on paper and 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 letting it disperse into the air, whether you burn it or so forth. Somehow, you know, watching that and seeing it is letting it go. But all these things, while they could be helpful to some, are not the practical program of action. That's not to say they're not helpful at all. It's just to say that the practical program of action is very clear in the first 164 pages uh, pages of the big book. And nowhere in there does it talk about burning or or that. And And the tools are there to support me as I am having... Uh, a spiritual awakening sufficient to arrest my disease. And so, yeah, if something like that you find is helpful to you and, and, and you know, and, and is part of a tool that you're applying, 
you know, I wouldn't dissuade you from that. It's just to say, if you were to think, you know, sometimes I get those questions, is that something that's part of this that I need to do? Then sometimes I think, you know, that's maybe someone is, is looking for the magic. Um, and that may not be the, the case with you at all, but, you know, uh, that I've got to find the magic. And I tried to do that and get sprinkled with pixie dust with, in, with the different tools. And none of those worked it was all just following the practical program of action in, in the 12 steps of Overeater, uh, of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I hope that helps. Yeah. It did, and actually it brought up an, another thought about the um, fourth step. When you, after you've read your fourth, fourth step, do you get rid of it, keep it, or burn it? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, you know, there'll be different thoughts on that. I know um, I've kept those things. I also know someone who recently shared at a meeting that he he kept his uh, his his fourth step and uh, had written it down and was very thorough and very specific. And then he left it on a coffee table, and his wife read the whole thing. You know, and that for him created some issues. Um, so yeah, I I it, it, that that's for me. Um, you know, so I, but I, I, I have kept that because again, you know, I, it's kind of my, my belief that, you know, a life, you know, that's worth living and recording is important. And, I, and those journals and different things help me to see the progression of my progression of my recovery, as opposed to the, the old door number two, the progression or door number one, the progression of my disease. So maybe that helps a little bit. Thank you, Tara, for your question, and thank you, everyone, for your questions this morning. Liz, Janice, Jane, Kathy, Michelle, Arlene, Santa, Sue, Sheila, Susan, Barbara, Leslie, Holly, and Tara, thank you so much for the questions. And, of course, Larry, thank you for giving so much of yourself this morning and sharing your reflections on your resentments and the process of transformation as written in the big book. We appreciate all your time and energy here on the line with us. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Leah. Thank you for your service. And everyone, I'm going to repeat the uh, contact information uh, to reach Larry, and he resides uh, in Chicago, so that's Central Time. That number is 630-205-2848. And to reach him by email, that would be L as in Larry, R as in Robert, R as in Robert, K as in Kangaroo, H as in Howard, N as in Nancy, at gmail.com. The share ID for today's meeting is 6241. And I'll close in the way we always close our meetings here on A Vision for You, and that's from page 164 in the chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. 
Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.